When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome to Radio Free Canada. News, notes, and opinions from the underground. Turn down on your microphone, Jacob says. Turn it down. All right, how's that? Is that better? All right, I know I'm loud. Better, better, no, no, keep down, down. There we go. All right, we have liftoff. Let's do take two. Welcome to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions from the Underground for Thursday, November the 18th. What a busy show we have for you today. A lot going on, but before I forget, I always forget to do this. Uh, Now, what was I forgetting to do? My email. That's right. I need to... um, I need to give out my email address because I have one here at the station. Richard at Saga960am.ca. Richard at Saga, S-A-U-G-A, 960, the numeral 960am.ca. Richard at Saga960am.ca. Because I want to hear from you. What do you like about the show? What do you hate about the show? Is there something you'd like me to talk about on the show or someone you think I should get on the show? Uh, I want to hear from you and uh, or, or what you think about previous shows. Richard at Saga960am.ca. And if I get some interesting ones, I'll, I'll read them on the air. So I have to promote this email more often. And it's because it's the only way I have for hearing from you. Because we can't take calls on the program. Do we know why we can't take calls, Jacob? We should look into that. We should be able to take, this is a live program. We should be able to take calls. We have to figure out a way so I can take phone calls. I want to hear from the folks. Um, 
Did I just call you Brandon? It's Jacob. No, you are Jacob. Yes, Jacob turned 22 yesterday. You still get carded, Jacob, because you're a young looking fellow. Once in a while you get carded. Yeah, they, you need, because what is the drinking age here? 19 in Ontario? Right. So if you go to the Lickbo, the LCBO, maybe buy, buy a bottle of wine. That, that happens to me occasionally. I get carded. Why are you laughing? It's true. I get asked for identification to prove my age. For my senior's discount. For my senior's discount, yes, but not anyway. Actually, I was at the LCBO a couple of months ago. I had my mask on. I had a, a hat on and I had my sunglasses on and you couldn't see my face. So I couldn't blame the cashier. I was kind of, you know, I was kind of thrilled because I, I need some identification, please. I said, oh, isn't this wonderful? My identif- they need identification to make sure I'm old enough to drink. So I went rifling through my wallet to get my driver's license and my old Blockbuster video membership card fell out onto the counter. And the cashier looked at it and said, never mind. Never mind. All right. Um, So answer me this. Why does the FDA want to slowly release the Pfizer COVID data over the next 55 years? That's right. They want to they want to slowly release it over the next 55 years. Are they trying to hide something? They're hiding the data for something they demand you inject into your body. And they're hiding that until 2076. 2076. Why? So there are 329,000 pages of data from Pfizer. Again, the FDA wants to release 500 pages per month over the next 55 years. So this means the final tranche of 500 pages would be released in December of 2076. Think about this, 329,000 pages. Did the FDA read all 329,000 pages before approving the Pfizer vaccine? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just asking dumb questions. Uh, Dateline, Ireland. Get this. Did you know this, Jacob? 95% of Ireland's adult population is vaccinated. 90, well, 94%. They have uh, mandatory indoor mask mandates, mandatory vaccine passports, 94% vaccination rates, and COVID cases this past month in Ireland are up by 275%. And they are back under partial lockdown and a full lockdown is expected to be imposed before Christmas. 94% vaccine uptake and they're looking to lock down again. Now, Gibraltar, Gibraltar has greater than 99% of the population fully vaccinated. 99, greater than 99, fully vaccinated in Gibraltar. Christmas celebrations there have been canceled as cases spike. We have this, uh, I see the Ottawa senators made the front, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Wall Street Journal. I don't know if it was the front page, but the Ottawa senators made the Wall Street Journal. Did you see this, Jacob? The Ottawa senators have a 1,000%, sorry, 100%, 100% vaccination rate, right? 40% of the team has tested positive for COVID. So here's the thing. You know, these three stories that I just rattled off, Ireland, Gibraltar, the Ottawa Sense. When you when you confront somebody with these facts, when you place these facts in front of the sheep and they look at you blankly with drool on their chins and all they can do is mumble, get vaccinated. I mean, 
what do you do with that? That's that's why I say I don't waste my time, nor should you or your energy trying to wake the sheep. Focus on trying to wake the lions. Be a lion and wake a lion. Uh, Scotia Bank. I bank there. I really I, I like the tellers at my local Scotia Bank branch. They're very friendly, very helpful. But Scotia Bank has this campaign right now called Hockey for All. You've seen that, Jacob, right? And it features, there's an ad with uh, P.K. Subban, who's a wonderful human being, terrific hockey player, but kind of, I think, on the, you know, the down, the back end of his career, right? Yeah, yeah. Nevertheless, what a sweetheart of a man. So, you know, I understand the, the campaign idea, Hockey for All. It's about ending the silence on racism and sexism in hockey. And it features, again, players like P.K., are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Are you struggling to conceive? You have options, and at Piedmont Reproductive Endocrinology Group, we'll make sure you have the guidance and support you need. Prague is known for individualized fertility care that's unique to every patient. We take the time to provide a reassuring and empowering experience because we believe that you deserve nothing less. Let us help you on your journey to parenthood. Visit us at pregonline.com to learn more. Get the guidance and support you need at Piedmont Reproductive Endocrinology Group. That's all fine. I mean, who would be against who would be against speaking out against racism or sexism in hockey? Nobody I'd invite over for a Christmas dinner, I can assure you. But the timing of this campaign is kind of ironic because Scotiabank, again, is talking about hockey for all. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.
When I was diagnosed with cancer, it felt like my whole world came tumbling down. Patient Advocate Foundation is here for you, providing free one-on-one practical support to patients with a cancer diagnosis. Call us at 800-532-5274. Patient Advocate Foundation can assist in navigating disability benefits and health insurance options. PAF also helps in accessing vital services, medications, and financial resources for both medical and household expenses. Visit patientadvocate.org or call 800-532-5274 creating more diversity and more equity and more accessibility in hockey at the, at a time when children families are being banned from hockey rinks for refusing an experimental gene therapy that has no real advantage for otherwise healthy children and only risk no upside, only downside. There are people of sincere faith religious conviction who are refusing the vaccine on religious grounds and they are not allowed to set foot inside a hockey rink. And Scotiabank has a campaign called Hockey for All. Interesting. I'm thinking about the term tone deaf right now. Um, I got some, a lot of other things I wanted to talk about, but uh, I, better, I better tell you what's on the show. We have more show than time. Um. I want to talk about China, not the fake China, not communist China. I'm not talking, uh, uh, I'm talking about the communist China rather. That's, that's the, uh, the fake China. I'm not talking about Taiwan. Communist China, they're engaged in genocide of a Muslim minority over there, the Uyghurs. They put them in camps, they rape their women, they force sterilize them, they enslave them. And then China exports products made by slave labor, possibly even your Apple phone. It's despicable. Senator Leo Husakos has been very vocal on this subject. He's probably one of the few. He's been on this program talking about it for some time, and he's proposing a bill to ban imports from one Chinese province in particular, where the communist Chinese are focusing their efforts to eradicate the Uyghurs. It also happens to be the ancestral homeland of the Uyghurs. Senator Husakis will be here shortly to discuss. Billboard Chris, a father of two girls, and he crisscrosses the country tirelessly with his sandwich board, which reads, children cannot consent to puberty blockers. He's taking a stand against radical gender ideology, and he objects to our children being indoctrinated into believing they were born in the wrong body. And puberty blockers are the first step in a medical pathway to transition children. And they bring unknown physical risk to children. He's back on the program today. He's in the U.S. I had him on a few days ago, but I wanted to bring him back. And I'll give him as much time as I can. He deserves a lot of time. He's a a brave, selfless individual who puts up with a lot of abuse, people will walk up to him and punch him in the face and he will not, he will not respond in kind. And uh, because he's willing to tackle this issue, he deserves as much time as we can give. Anyway, he's in the U S because he's not getting any traction up here. None of the media seem to care. Uh, I'll also replay an interview with a pediatric brain surgeon with a tragic tale, the collateral damage from these unscientific immoral lockdowns, one of the one of the uh, unintended, I'll call it, I'll, I'll be I'll be kind, I'll call it an unintended consequence has been uh, 
the delay in medical testing and screening, particularly of children with early stage brain cancer, parents afraid to take their kids to the hospital for fear of COVID because of fear mongering by the media, public health officials, politicians, or doctors relying on telemedicine because it's convenient, seeing patients over a Zoom call and they can't adequately diagnose. So now this pediatric brain surgeon is seeing a real increase in brain cancers, pediatric brain cancers, and it's too late. She can't save them. Had she caught it early enough, she could. Uh, we've got a couple of fact check this segments lined up for you. It's been a while since we've done fact check this. And I think we've got Praveen on. Our, uh, our fearless general manager. He's our general manager, isn't he? Or did I just give him a promotion? No, he's the general manager. Praveen, is, he's out in Kelowna. I, we need to talk to somebody about these floods. And we've been trying to talk to some MPs out there. But obviously, they're busy. They're inundated. It's just a calamity out in British Columbia. It's just horrible. Supply chains being disrupted. Infrastructure being destroyed. Uh, so... Uh, the poor people of British Columbia, we've uh, we've got to talk about that. So we're going to we're working on getting uh, we'll continue to talk about it in the in the coming days, obviously. But for for now, we'll have to settle for Praveen. No, he's a terrific guy. He's out in Kelowna and I guess everything's OK with him. Uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, the young man who tried to fend off a rampaging mob in Kenosha, Wisconsin last summer. He shot three people, two of whom died. One was a convicted pedophile. Uh, the other was a um, a wife batterer. So ha, no tears shed there. However, he's on the on trial for his life, basically. And the jury is being intimidated and doxed. Uh, Drew Allen, conservative political analyst, author, podcaster, will be here to discuss. And there you have a show, a show and a half. Do we have enough time to fit this all in? I don't know. But uh, Senator Leo Husakos, I know. I know, Jacob. He's giving me the wind it up, Sarah. Senator Husakos is next. Uh, with his proposed bill to ch uh, to ban Chinese imports. Back with that story in three minutes. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. A proposed conservative bill aims to stop, quote, subsidizing a genocide in China. The bill is being uh, promoted by Senator Leo Hosakos, conservative senator, and uh, he joins us now on the program. Senator Hosakos, welcome once again. How are you, sir? Thank you for having me on. I'm great. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm well, thank you. So just uh, explain the intent of this bill. Uh, this is fairly precise. I mean, you're targeting one specific region of China, imports coming from that, that one region. Explain. Well, it's uh, unfortunately, we're talking about China again, the international global player that uh, continues to abuse human rights, continues to abuse the rule of law, all in pursuit of profit at any, at, at any cost. Uh, as many Canadians are already starting to discover, the Uyghur people in the region of uh, Xinjiang, uh, which is uh, all for all intents and purposes, uh, East uh, Turkestan in China, uh, have been in concentration camps, and there's been a concerted, organized effort by the Chinese regime to eradicate these people. The House of Commons a few months ago uh, had a vote. They declared what's going on to these people a genocide. Uh, we had a vote and a motion passed in the Senate of Canada calling on the Trudeau government to uh, institute the Magnitsky Act and, and 
holding uh, to account Chinese officials that are carrying out this uh, genocidal uh, act against the against the Uyghur people in China. Uh, in both cases, the Trudeau government continues to ignore this call. In the case of the motion in the House of Commons, they abstained, they ignored the motion. And of course, in the case of the Senate motion calling on the government to use the Magnitsky Act, they've ignored that altogether. Um, what my new bill is trying to do is trying to... Uh, precisely deal with the fact that we have products that are coming into our country, manufactured by forced labor camps in the Xinjiang region. And every time a Canadian buys those products, a portion of that money goes into carrying out the genocide against the people of, of the region of East Turkestan. So my bill has is a little bit different in nature. We have already a law in Canada which bans products coming in that are manufactured by forced labor. This bill passed in 2020. But the bill is is not very um, easy to implement. And we've seen as a result, CBSA, Canadian Border Services, in over a year, they've confiscated one container, only one container. Uh, and the reason for that, it's very difficult for CBSA agents uh, to determine uh, when these products are, are made by slave labor camps and when they're not. So this bill would make it a little easier for them. All they need to see is, you know, uh, I'm going to oversimplify it, but made in Xinjiang. And that would be enough for them to say, no, it can't come in. But aren't there easy workarounds for the for the communist Chinese? Couldn't they just reroute any goods coming out of that province? I don't know, in through Sichuan or something. They could. And they are starting to do that. They're getting clever because both, you know, both. Democratic markets are, are trying to take action and the Chinese are always ahead of uh, one step ahead. So there are rumors and reports that they're starting to displace uh, Uyghur people into other parts of China. Uh, of course, as you know, uh, unlike our country, we can't have our journalists just show up and, and, and investigate. We don't they don't we don't have access uh, of information like uh, like most normal nations do and what we're accustomed to. So we rely on Amnesty International, uh, Human Rights Watch and other organizations uh, to bring these uh, pieces of information to our attention. My hope is as this bill does eventually passes is and we deal with the cancer, which is right now centralized uh, in the forced labor camps in Xinjiang. And we put a stop to anything that's imported from there. And then gradually, as we get more information and proof that they're also conducting forced labor uh, operations in other parts of China, I think we should expand that ban. Look, my view has always been clear that we should not be trading with any nation in the world that doesn't isn't aligned with our labor laws, our human rights laws, our environmental laws. Either we're serious about the way we live and the things we stand for as a nation, or we're not. You would support total trade disengagement with uh, with communist China? I absolutely would. I've said this before, that our 4% uh, of trade the, uh, exports that we sent to China right now are not worth us trading our soul away. And Richard, I've said this before time and time again. We as Canadians, what are we? If we are not a nation that is all about freedom and human rights and rule of law, then we have no cultural identity. At the end of the day, every single Canadian that has come to this country, either as an immigrant or children of immigrant, we have been brought here because of those freedoms, because of those values of human rights. So if we're not ready to defend them, that means we're not ready to defend the whole Canadian identity. Amen to that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I see very little difference between communist China, the regime 
and and some aspects of Nazi Germany, quite frankly. And it's a disgrace that that we are we are trading with them. So we'll uh, we'll uh, pick this up on the other side. Senator Husakos, if you'd be good enough to stay with us for a few minutes yet. And we'll uh, continue to discuss this conservative bill aiming to stop subsidizing genocide in China. Who could be against that? Ah, I have some ideas. Back with more in a moment. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Welcome back. Senator Leo Husakos, conservative senator, stays with us. And his bill aims to stop subsidizing genocide in China, uh, targeting one province in particular, the ancestral homeland of the Muslim minority Uyghurs. Uh, where they are um, subjected to torture, forced sterilization, um, in some cases we're told rape, certainly political indoctrination, and slave labor. And so we have products coming into Canada from uh, this particular province, Xinjiang. Um, and in, in essence, we are subsidizing these internment camps. We are, we are subsidizing genocide. Now, in the National Post, they called it cultural genocide. Uh, that's a wishy-washy term to me, cultural. No, it's genocide, pure and simple. I don't know that the, what gen- cultural genocide actually means, but when you're torturing people, sterilizing them, hurting them into camps, enslaving them, that's that's genocide. Um, what what sort of brands are we talking about? I mean, maybe, yes, we should target the, 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 the communist Chinese regime, but what about the global brands that are making use of this slave labor? Can you maybe fill us in on on what some of these brands are? Look, it's everything from children's clothing uh, to all kinds of apparel uh, to, of course, cotton. The region is known for its large amounts of cotton, which they they use as manufactured finished goods and they export around the world. Uh, Agricultural products. uh, It's it's all kinds of things that that right now are are seeping and finding their way into our marketplace. Um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the Chinese government in cahoots with some large corporations that seem to have put profits ahead of, uh, of fundamental human rights and decency at the end of the day are allowing a country to take advantage and torture people just because of their culture and their religious identity. Uh, and earlier in the show, you, you, you drew parallels with some of the uh, comparisons of, of course, the uh, ugly Nazi era. And that's exactly what it is. When you take people of a certain culture, a certain race, and you, like you said, you put them in concentration camps, you sterilize them, uh, you displace them from their homes, uh, you try to eradicate them uh, and lose in order for them to lose their their cultural identity. It's, it's, it's inhumane, it's indecent. And you're right, some of these large corporations, North American, many of them, corporations, that are there profiteering. Uh, the only way to send a message is that we don't buy their products. The best way to send a message is that the government won't tolerate these products to be shipped in here. And we need to take a stand. So I feel the bill that I'm proposing uh, will, will close some of the loopholes, will make it clear that until the Chinese regime proves to us that this will no longer take place in that region. We shouldn't engage with that region. And if they take these people and they displace them to other regions and they just move the concentration camps and slave labor camps elsewhere, we should shut down those regions as well. We should make it clear to China that they have to be transparent in dealing with a trading partner like Canada, or they won't get the benefit of this huge, rich middle-class market that we have, which they've been benefiting from for decades. 
What about these global brands, however, like Nike, Microsoft, uh, Zara, uh, Nintendo? Can they be targeted in some way? They can. At the end of the day, uh, we've seen the power of the marketplace. And I believe in free market. I believe in people. Uh, people really show a lot of strength when they when they purchase or don't purchase something. So I think uh, an organized attempt by stakeholders like the Uyghur Canadian Association and others to shame, to call out and shame these organizations and inform Canadians. When you buy a pair of shoes, a Nike pair of shoes or Nike apparel that is made in China, it's very likely being made in the Xinjiang area. And it's more than likely it's being made by Uyghur Chinese people who are forced in concentration camps to make it. Uh, give us a bit of a, a quick civics lesson here, uh, Senator, because I mean I, I don't know how often a bill is actually first sort of uh, that it emanates from the Senate before going to the House. Or am I mistaken? It seems rather uncommon. Uh, no, private members bills can emanate either from the House or the Senate. Uh, it varies. Obviously, government legislation more often than not does begin in the House of Commons. And of course, in our parliamentary Canadian system, we have a two chamber system. And in order for a bill to become a law, it has to pass both chambers before it is uh, you know, signed by the governor general. In this case, it's a private member's bill. I'm hoping to get a consensus in the Senate. I'm hoping that senators from all groups and all sides, uh, both the liberal appointed senators and conservative appointed senators will pass this bill expeditiously. They will understand the importance of it. And then it goes to the House of Commons and it goes through the same process there. Uh, and hopefully that the government of Canada itself will embrace this bill. The Trudeau government, like I said, continue to bury their head in the sand when it comes to human rights violation in China. They continue to to give in to commercial pressures, even though I have to remind Canadians, we have been running a trade deficit with China for a very long time. So the relationship hasn't been very balanced. There's been an overwhelming slide in favor of, of China when it comes to benefiting from taking advantage of our marketplace. True. Uh, and, and to be fair, there have been some liberal MPs that have been very vocal on this issue as well. Uh, I think you certainly have been uh, leading the charge and as well as some of your colleagues in the uh, conservative benches in, in the House. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, I think our uh, our uh, prime minister and members of his cabinet have have really uh, embarrassed us with this regard, you know, uh, not showing up for votes uh, when it came to, you know, condemning China for genocide and so forth. So hopefully, as you say, they will uh, embrace this. Uh, congratulations on uh, on on uh, putting this bill forward, Senator, and thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Senator Leo Husakos. All right. When we come back, Chris Elston, a.k.a. Billboard Chris, checks in. I believe he's in Texas spreading the word that children, children, cannot consent to puberty blockers back with that story in three minutes you're listening to the richard serrett show on Newstalk saga 960 a.m all right welcome back am i on i lost my zoom call i hope you can hear me all right am i on there we are sorry about that now I'm having mouse issues, Jacob. I lost my Zoom call. Anyway, here we are. Uh, for months, I've been telling you about the uh, the wonderful health products from my good friends at North American Herb and Spice. And I've been telling you and, well, just everybody I know about how to get maximum immune support from P73 Wild Oregano. And whether you prefer the drops, the gel caps, 
the powder or even the inhalants. North American Herb and Spice has a whole line of wild oregano supplements to support a healthy immune response. P73 Wild Oregano is available at fine health food stores across the GTA or you can order online at oregano.com. Visit the website and sign up for the North American Herb and Spice newsletter and then you'll receive 5% off when you order online. P73 Wild Oregano for a healthy immune system from North American Herb and Spice. The website once again is oregano.com. Let me spell it for you. O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. Everybody, O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. All right. Chris Elston, a.k.a. Billboard Chris, is uh, traveling the United States right now, drawing attention to the medical abuse of children who experience what is often a temporary or even imagined gender dysphoria, who are then being subjected to uh, dangerous puberty blockers. And uh, we're delighted to have Chris Elston back on the program. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing great, Richard. Thanks so much for having me again. My pleasure. And I'll keep having you on uh, because this is, you know, I was just talking to Senator Leo Husakos, a quick aside, uh, about the uh, the Uyghurs in uh, in communist China. And he wants to ban products coming in from a particular province where they are enslaving Uyghurs, uh, this Muslim minority. The other thing they're doing to them is they're sterilizing. They're forced sterilizing them. And Canadians, obviously, I, w- I would think unanimously would be appalled by that, but they might not be aware that we are allowing our own our young girls in this country to be sterilized. Tell me about that. That's right. Girls and boys. So we have this extremely large increase in children wanting to transition to the other sex. And the main thing going on today is that we just don't uh, provide these kids with a lot of counseling. We're not looking into underlying conditions that have caused this sudden increase in all these children wanting to transition. We just simply affirm them and very quickly put them on a regimen of puberty blocking drugs and then the opposite sex is hormones. And when we do that, it causes infertility. So we're literally sterilizing a generation of gender non-conforming children, children who are having a tough time in life. A lot of these children would grow up to be gay or lesbian. And this is all being done without much questioning because to even talk about these issues gets you deemed a transphobe and everyone's afraid to talk about it. But I became aware of all this harm coming to thousands of kids. And it really bothered me that we're not able to talk about such an important subject when all of these children are coming to harm. So I've set off on this mission. I've been traveling across Canada for over a year, and I'm now going to be visiting different U.S. states every month just to create awareness and have conversations about what's going on, because we need to get this discussion going on a national scale. Right. And uh, we talked about this, I guess it was last week, and I wanted to bring you back on because what we didn't, I didn't have a chance to address with you the fact that, I mean, you were crisscrossing Canada. You were you were standing on the street, sometimes in front of a school to try to bring awareness to this. You had you had people coming up to you, uh, punching you, physically uh, um, attacking you. And you stood there with your arms you know, behind your back. Uh, you did not re- respond in kind, which was an incredibly courageous and smart thing to do. Obviously, you've taken so much abuse. Now you've decided to take this message to the United States. 
uh, not that you've given up on Canada, but I sense there's some frustration. What's going on? Well, it's it's strategic, really. I mean, it is frustrating in Canada because none of our media will cover this subject. They won't tell the truth about it. CTV, CBC, and Global are all three peas in a pod, and they all present this as some romantic notion of a child finding their authentic self. But they never address the experimental nature of these puberty-blocking drugs and cross-sex hormones. They never address why we've seen a 4,000% increase in young girls wanting to transition. And this is, in my opinion, a giant medical malpractice scandal, probably the biggest medical child abuse scandal in modern medicine history. And I know, without a shadow of doubt, in the coming decades, we're going to look back on this time with absolute horror, and everyone's pretty much being silent about it. So the reason I went to a couple schools, stood on the street corners by a couple schools in Ontario last month, it started because at Beaumont Road Public School in the beaches area of Toronto, a 12-year-old child in the classroom recorded the teacher giving a lesson on gender identity, and that audio was leaked to me by the child's father. And it's just absolutely insane what these kids are being taught. And it's the last thing in the world I ever imagined myself doing, you know, wearing a sign, standing near a school to have conversations with parents. But this is where a lot of these problems are starting. We're indoctrinating children. We've brought political agendas into the schools themselves, and we're not teaching science-based materials to these children. These materials are produced by activists, political activists, who want to get this agenda into all of the schools. And we have thousands of children being indoctrinated. They're being lied to in the schools. And if we're not allowed to talk about it, if the media won't cover it, there's really only one way to do this. I figured out, which is just to go onto the street, go to busy areas and have conversations with parents. And people tell me, well, you should go to the parliament and protest there. Well, I've done that 15 times. They say you should talk to school boards, talk to the politicians. I've done all of that. I've done everything there is to do. I've been out on the street probably 250 times in Canada for hours at a time, every time, having thousands of conversations. And none of the media will cover the truth of what's going on. All right, Chris, and I got to so, take a quick time out. Pardon the interruption. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll come back and discuss further. Chris Elston, a.k.a. Billboard Chris, BillboardChris.com, the website. Check it out, BillboardChris.com. He's a real Canadian hero, folks. Back with more in a moment. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. We're back with Chris Elston, a.k.a. Billboard Chris, father of two girls, decided to take a stand against gender ideology. He believes that children should be free to be who they are, not indoctrinated to believe they were born in the wrong body. And uh, puberty blockers, he says, uh, are, are one of the, uh, the primary areas of concern. These are um, really the first step in a medical pathway that brings physical harm to children. Billboardchris.com, the website. We were talking earlier, Chris, you left, uh, you've left Canada temporarily. You're down in the U.S. taking the conversation down there with your sandwich board that reads, children cannot consent to puberty blockers. And I think um, well, the last uh, tweet I saw from you, you were inside the state legislature in Austin, Texas. How did that go? How were you received there? Yeah, I went to the Capitol in Austin and I was going to stand outside. 
Um, it's a safe place to stand. There's security and things like that. But I went inside just to kind of look around because it's a beautiful building. And I thought, well, I'm here. I'd better go inside and have a look. And I ended up speaking to one of the politicians in there who stopped me to chat. And he told me I should come on inside the building <laughs> with my signs. And I couldn't believe it because I'd never be allowed to do that in Canada. In fact, when I protest outside the BC legislature in Victoria, I'm not even allowed to go into the restaurant in the basement of that building after I've been protesting, even without my signs, until I've had a cool down period, they say, of a few hours. They do that for all of the protests, not just myself. But there's such a greater amount of freedom of speech down here. It's how the world should be. We should be allowed to have conversations about whatever issues we want to have, as long as we're being respectful and it's not hate speech, I guess. But um, it's nice to be in a country where freedom of speech is alive and well, because it's certainly not in Canada. You mentioned myself getting punched in the head and all that last month in Ontario. Uh, that was because a counter-protest of 200 students from Carleton University in Ottawa came out to mob me. I wasn't free to move. I was getting mobbed. I got painted on. I got spat on. My rental car got keyed. I got punched in the head a couple times. And the police just watched. They literally just watched as it all went on. I had another man out there with me and a woman as well. She got water poured on her. But uh, the man that was with me couldn't even get into my rental car because it was so surrounded. He had to climb in through the back seat where I had the seats folded down and kind of scrunch himself in there while my car was getting mobbed and kicked and signs hammered onto the windows. And the police just watched it all happen. So, I mean, it's just a total embarrassment and a lack of proper policing, but it's fine. It ended up reaching millions. CBC and CTV and all them came out. And of course, they don't report the truth. They largely report this as, you know, some transphobe coming from British Columbia. I had politicians calling me the bigot from British Columbia and slandering me on the floor of the legislature in Ontario. But what ends up happening is a lie goes around the world really fast, but people end up going, hmm, something doesn't sound right here, and they end up doing their own research. And it achieved what I wanted to achieve, which was thousands or tens of thousands of conversations happening about this issue. So awareness is increasing. But I'm going to keep visiting different states each month, going on one trip each month, and I'll still be doing things in Canada, of course. But in the States, there's more conservative media who will cover this. There are podcasters who have hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, and I'm making connections with them because they care a lot more, of course, when I'm doing this in their own country than when I'm doing it in Canada. And the whole Western world is in this fight together. So if we create more awareness in the U.S., it rubs off on Canada. And I think eventually once other countries fix this mess that we're in and stop this practice like Sweden and Finland have done, eventually Canada will be forced to act and they'll stop this practice too. But all these countries, all of the people who are speaking out against this, we all need to work together. So it's a global fight in a lot of ways. So I need to take it globally. I think that's a, a wise strategy, Chris, because Canada, unfortunately, always seems to be behind the curve uh, when it comes to just about everything. And uh, sometimes they don't uh, they don't, you know, come around until they feel secure enough to do it because they see other countries and uh, the United States, of course. Uh, if they would come around on this issue, that would go a long way. Now, what, what kind of reception do you receive from people on the street? Now, up here in Canada, you get accosted. 
um, not every time. You, there are some like-minded people up here, not nearly enough. What kind of reception, what kind of conversations are you having, let's say, recently in Austin? Are, are people aware that this is going on? What do they say to you? People are becoming more aware all over the world, really. And uh, I went and stood outside the University of Texas in Austin. People told me, be careful, because Austin's a very woke town. <laughs> but they're not from Vancouver. <laughs> Vancouver is a very woke town. Victoria is totally insane when I do this. I get abused constantly. But down here, I mean, there was some hate from some of the university students. But even they were evil. They were able to have a conversation with me. They weren't so triggered that they couldn't talk to me, which is the case in Canada with a lot of the people who are against what I'm doing. But it's been overwhelmingly supportive. It's it's overwhelmingly supportive even in Canada. More than 90% of people agree with it. But it's just that the 10% or the 5% or even the 2% are very loud and very angry. And they scare everyone into silence. And you know how politicians are. Their main goal is getting reelected. So they're not going to do anything to act against this until they feel safe to do so. Because right now... Even the politicians that know the truth of what's going on, they're very cowardly because they won't speak up and they are sitting on their hands as thousands of children are coming to harm and they won't do anything until they feel safe to do so. And the only way we get to that point is by creating so much awareness that they simply can't ignore it anymore because we need parents, we need teachers, we need principals, we need all these people to become aware of what this ideology is leading to. Because right now, with a total absence of truth being spoken, people think they're just being kind and they're just being inclusive and accepting. But it's not about that. It's about what this leads to medically, which is children suffering infertility, children having their breasts cut off when they're 14 years old, even without parental approval. And there's going to be deep regrets in a lot of these children when they grow up. And no one can explain why we've seen this 4,000% increase, but it's pretty simple. We're teaching it in school. Kids are getting groomed on social media. It's a fad. It's really popular now. Children who are struggling get rewarded socially when they come out with some new identity in high school. And we simply need to have conversations about this experimental practice going on. The president-elect of the World, Professional, so the World Professional Association for Transgender Health herself, who is a trans woman, has said she's not a fan of giving puberty blockers to young children. And for some reason, we're not allowed to talk about this in Canada. So I'll just go wherever people will spread this message the most. And right well, now, that's you, the United you can States. come here and you can spread the message as often as you'd like, Chris. I think what you're doing is heroic. Uh, you're a selfless individual and I applaud what you're doing. And I think you'd be interested to know uh, that on the 29th of this month, I, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, Walt Heyer or Heyer, uh, who has mm -hmm. a website called Sex Change Regret, will be um, on the program. This is a gentleman who, who lived, I believe, for something like, was it 20 years uh, as a yes, woman? I'm aware. And uh, I'm just, yeah, letting the audience know as well, of course, that uh, now, yeah. of course, like like so many of these uh, individuals has regrets 
and wants to draw attention to this. So, so Walt will be on the program at the end of the month and we'll, uh, we'll continue to keep this conversation going. And uh, Chris, again, you're welcome to come on the program anytime. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. All right. Chris Elson, billboardchris.com is the website. All right. Still plenty of show to come. Hour two awaits. Uh, Dr. Sheila Singh, a pediatric brain surgeon, will talk about one of the collateral effects of uh, the lockdowns. Some fact check this. Our uh, GM, Praveen Amitharaj, out in uh, Kelowna, will give us an update on the flood in British Columbia. And uh, a little bit more on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, the jury in day three of deliberation, some jury intimidation happening. Conservative uh, analyst, author Drew Allen will be here with that one. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Hey, Richard! Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right, hour two off and running. Welcome back, and thanks for hanging out with me. Again, if you want to uh, contact me, Email me at richard at saga960am.ca. Richard at saga960am.ca. Really would love to hear from you. Uh, I'll even read the, uh, the nasty hate mail. But if you have suggestions for the program uh, or want to comment on a previously heard program, love to hear from you. Richard at saga960am.ca. Drew Allen, he's a favorite of mine, conservative a political analyst and host of the Drew Allen show will be here on the Rittenhouse trial. Uh, some fact check this and um, oh, actually we're going to do a couple of fact check this. Uh, that's uh, all coming up. This article I just read at the conversation.com. It's an academic online journal. It makes me very angry and very sad. It's written by a pediatric brain surgeon, professor of surgery, cancer researcher at McMaster university in Hamilton. Dr. Sheila Singh, is talking about the incidence of brain cancer in children in Canada. It's three in 100,000. And if it's caught early enough, it's treatable, even though these are aggressive brain cancers. They're the, the second most common cause of childhood cancers after leukemia, but the most common cause of childhood cancer mortality. And many of these aggressive cancers occur before the age of five. They're difficult to diagnose in children. Children can't verbalize a lot of the complex or subtle neurological symptoms like dizziness or double vision. So she writes that in the last year or so, she's seen children for the first time when they've already reached the end stage of brain cancer. These are children whose illness is dreadfully apparent. These are children whose lives could have been saved if they had been diagnosed even six months earlier. And she writes, I know why that didn't happen. The COVID-19 pandemic and its effects on our healthcare system. Dr. Sheila Singh is a professor of surgery, a director at the Cancer Research Center at McMaster University. Dr. Singh, welcome and thanks for coming on the program. Thank you for having me, Richard. The story, it makes me angry. I think that's an appropriate response. First of all, just explain why you're seeing an uptick in brain cancer in children. So, Richard, I think the key observation that we made uh, during the pandemic is over the past year or so, uh, my colleagues and I have begun to notice that we are seeing cases of brain cancer that are far more advanced than the cases we've seen in previous years. And by advanced, I mean that this is brain cancer 
um, that has spread. This is brain cancer that has traveled through um, the spinal fluid to seed other parts of the nervous system. This is a cancer that's progressed um, beyond the point where we normally diagnose or detect it. And so my colleagues and I were asking each other, why? What, what is the reason for this diagnostic delay? Because clearly patients for the past year have been coming to attention far later than they normally do. And so we began to ask parents questions and we began to you know, look carefully at these histories and try to figure out what was going on. And there are two main reasons that I believe we're seeing more cases of advanced cancer in the past year. And both of them are related to the measures that we used as a society to control um, spread of COVID-19 and the pandemic. And I think it's important to note that this is a form of collateral damage from the restrictions that we put into place to control COVID-19. And we should expect that because for all measures, there's always a, a response or a countermeasure, right? So the two reasons we found were, number one, uh, parents and families were scared to come to the hospital. They were actually afraid to come to the hospital because they thought they might catch COVID, first of all. And secondly, there has been some public messaging that has been suggesting in a kind of sideways manner that if you have COVID-19, don't go directly to the hospital, go somewhere to a testing center and get tested. And so parents absorbed these messages and overall discerned that they shouldn't come to the hospital. Secondly, there was an attribution error of sorts. And by that, I mean that parents hearing so much on the radio about COVID-19 symptoms all the time, we were really bombarded and barraged with symptoms of COVID-19 on the radio, on the TV. We were hearing about it all the time. And so parents assumed that some of the symptoms they were seeing in their children might have been related to COVID. And so when their child was vomiting or when their child had symptoms that in the end were related to their diagnosis of a brain tumor, they attributed those symptoms instead to COVID and went to a COVID testing center instead of coming to the emergency room. And then thirdly, I think there's been a lack of access to medical care overall. If we look back during the pandemic, all of the restrictions had resulted in more virtual or telemedicine visits and it was much harder for people to be seen by their pediatrician or family doctor in person because offices were simply not taking patients in person. And so this resulted in another type of diagnostic error because I can tell you that looking at a child or talking to parents on a screen is absolutely not conducive to making a diagnosis because I can't do a physical or a neurological examination on a child through a screen. So there's a lot of limitations that I think led to the fact that we saw all of these cases with very much of a delay in diagnosis. And here's the, the real tragedy. As you write in the article, many of these brain cancers in children are treatable if they're just caught just six months earlier. Yes, and that's part of the, the difficulty of all of this for, for physicians, for families, for patients, Richard, is that brain cancer, of course, like every other diagnosis, is time-dependent. And the earlier you catch it, the more easily treatable it is, and the better the outcome for the child. And I'm afraid that lot, a lot of the diagnostic delays that have occurred because of the reasons I've just explained, I think they're all preventable. They're, they're things that if I had been able to see the child earlier, we could have afforded the child a better outcome. And so I have no doubt, and this is something we all have to face as a society, that we are going to see across all diseases, all non-COVID-related diseases, an increase in morbidity and mortality from the period of the pandemic restrictions because this diagnostic delay doesn't only apply to brain cancer. I think we've seen it across all different fields of medicine. 
And I think we need to face it as a society, and we need to now try to deal with some of this collateral damage and understand that we're going to need to be accountable for the measures we, we implemented during COVID-19. Dr. Sheila Singh is with us, professor of surgery, neurosurgeon, scientist, director of cancer research at uh, McMaster University, and uh, published an article recently. Uh, let's, uh, let's tell people how to get this. They can find it at The Conversation. This is an academic online journal. What is the actual website? It's theconversation.com. Theconversation.com. And the article is Analysis. I'm a pediatric brain surgeon, and I'm concerned about the impact of delayed diagnoses for my patients due to COVID-19. The collateral damage that you just summarized, which is, I think, ultimately going to be incalculable. I mean, all of the the cost-benefit analyses that have been done, and they're done primarily by economists because economists deal with data. Every single one that I've come across has shown that the cost of the lockdowns and the reaction to the pandemic far and away outweigh any benefits in terms of lives saved. The costs, and we're talking about human lives here, incalculable. So you're suggesting that we need to prepare ourselves for a pandemic of advanced pediatric brain cancers, brain cancers that could have been treated if caught just six months earlier. Is that the main takeaway here? That's right, Richard. And what I would predict predict is when we analyze our data from the pandemic period, and again, this will have to be done um, in the future, when we go back and analyze, I think we're going to see worse statistics from this year, we're going to see higher morbidity and higher mortality than our usual annual rates, which, by the way, are very good in Canada. And I want to reiterate to you that um, you're right, data collection is really important. And, you know, reflecting on the data and the analysis is important. And some countries have already started to do that. So there was an article published in um, one of the top cancer journals, which is called Lancet Oncology in 2020. And it reflected the British experience with the same phenomenon that I'm describing to you in Canada. And that article was about the impact of COVID-19 pandemic on cancer death due to delay in diagnosis in England. And they did a national uh, population-based modeling study, and it was extremely well done. And really, they were examining how cancer screening was suspended, routine diagnostic work was deferred, and and really only urgent symptomatic cases were prioritized for diagnostic interventions. And so they were estimating the impact of delays on diagnosis on cancer survival outcomes. And they did this across four major tumor types, including lung cancer and esophageal cancer. But they really found the the overall conclusion was exactly as you just stated, there's going to be a substantial increase in the number of avoidable cancer deaths in England because directly because of the COVID-19 pandemic restrictions in the UK. And they recommended that urgent policy interventions are necessary. So I think we need to take some lessons from people who went through the pandemic a few stages earlier than us. And we should really be on top of this already in terms of our Canadian healthcare policymakers. We really need to get ahead of this curve. And I still feel as if we're talking about COVID-19 and its impact too much in terms of the disease itself, rather than focusing on the collateral damage of all of these other important diseases. Cancer didn't stop for COVID. I couldn't agree with you more. There's been a COVID-19 mania and the result, as you say, is all of this collateral damage, and particularly when it comes to what should have been treatable incidents of pediatric brain cancer, this is, to me, an unforgivable sin. Here's the other tragic part. We had 
a pandemic plan. It was thrown out the window. The pandemic plan is that you treat this not as a health emergency, but as a societal emergency, and you maintain as much of the societal functioning as you can, and then you focus on the most vulnerable. That was the plan. It was thrown out the window. Do you have any confidence that we're going to approach the next pandemic any differently? I really hope we learn from um, from our mistakes, but that will take some accountability and for us to acknowledge that we didn't deploy a perfect pandemic plan. And I really hope that our policymakers, our government officials, and our healthcare and public health officials are going to be able to look at this objectively. I feel like right now we're all patting ourselves on the back and saying, hey, we did a great job with COVID. And we certainly did. Our numbers for COVID are good. But what we have to understand is what was the trade-off? What was the cost? What was the price we paid for having... Uh, low disease burden for COVID-19. And again, my colleagues at University of Pennsylvania at the Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania, which is one of the top uh, children's hospitals in the world, also published an article in Pediatric Blood and Cancer talking about delayed cancer diagnoses and high mortality in children during the pandemic. So this is a phenomenon that's not just Canadian oddity. This is something that we're going to see that we'll be seeing around the world. And I think we really need to understand that I think a more tailored approach next time rather than the blanket approach that we instituted to the pandemic will definitely save some of the the costs that we've paid in other disease processes. And as I said, cancer didn't stop for COVID. And so for the next pandemic, we should really keep that at top of mind. And perhaps we could have focused more on the high risk groups for COVID rather than implementing blanket restrictions. And also there was a lot of fear being broadcast overall. And the messaging that the parents of my patients took home was that they were all terrified of getting COVID-19. And in the meantime, I think the irony for me is that brain, brain cancers are much worse than COVID. Dr. Singh, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. I think we were all sort of aware of the collateral damage, but you put it so succinctly. It's really quite devastating to read about this. Again, the article can be read at theconversation.com. The title is Analysis. I'm a pediatric brain surgeon, and I'm concerned about the impact of delayed diagnoses for my patients due to COVID-19. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. When we come back, are U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris's days numbered? You'll find out on Fact Check This coming up next. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. How do we determine what is true, what is false and what is misleading? Fact Check This. All right. Welcome back. Now, this is interesting. If you've been following the polling down in the United States with uh, the Brandon administration. (laughs) Not you, Brandon. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time 
is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. When I was diagnosed with cancer, it felt like my whole world came tumbling down. Patient Advocate Foundation is here for you, providing free one-on-one practical support to patients with a cancer diagnosis. Call us at 800-532-5274. Patient Advocate Foundation can assist in navigating disability benefits and health insurance options. PAF also helps in accessing vital services, medications, and financial resources for both medical and household expenses. Visit patientadvocate.org or call 800-532-5274. Joe Biden. Go, Brandon. Anyway, uh, he's like he's like at 36 percent, 34 percent, according to some polls. So his disapproval rating is like going through the roof. This is like 10 months into his administration. Now, you say, okay, but Trump was, you know, often below 40. Keep in mind, these polls are heavily weighted in favor of Democrats. Okay, so not looking good. As bad as it is. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. For Grampy Beijing Joe Biden, it's even worse for Kamala Harris. She's like 10 points behind Joe Biden. So there is a suggestion from insiders that the Biden camp is trying to uh, jettison Kamala Harris, the most unpopular vice president in 50, 60 years. Uh, and that cackle of hers doesn't uh, doesn't help herself. She doesn't help herself with that. She was supposed to be the border czar. And uh, I think she went down to the border one time. And that's one of her complaints is she keeps she keeps being handed these horrible little projects that are a complete mess and it makes her look bad. So now the scuttlebutt is that the Biden camp is trying to get rid of her as vice president. And what's the clue that this might be happening? Insiders in Washington are saying that the U.S. House of Representatives is getting ready for confirmation hearings. So what you say? Well, the House doesn't do regular confirmations. The Senate does the confirmations on cabinet uh, secretaries, Supreme Court justices. What does the House confirm? You got it. Vice presidents. Have a listen to this. Fox News alert breaking in Washington tonight, where our Capitol Hill correspondent Chad Pergram tells us he's been hearing whispers suggesting there could be some new high profile confirmation hearings on the horizon in the House of Representatives. Why is this a big deal? Because the House does not confirm normal nominees, but it does confirm vice presidential nominees. Does this have something to do with Kamala Harris? 
It's no secret she's been running out of favor with the Biden team. Over the weekend, someone at the White House leaked several stories criticizing Kamala for her constant gaffes and awkward laugh. The vice president's office responded to those leaks by leaking a story of its own, calling the Biden team racist. Chad Pergram joins me now. Chad, so what exactly are you hearing? Good evening, Jesse. Well, there's a lot of conjecture right now about the future of Vice President Harris and her lagging poll numbers. This happened at the White House yesterday during the ceremony to sign the infrastructure bill. Please welcome Heather Kurtenbach. In a moment. The faux pas was probably not intentional, but it underscored issues some have in the Biden administration with Harris. Now, here's a window into my world. As you know, I appreciate congressional process and mechanics. So I got a message recently from someone who knows Capitol Hill very well, and they suggested I should familiarize myself with the process to confirm a vacancy for the vice president in the Senate and in the House. To be clear, to be clear, this is not something uh, to say that something is afoot here, but I always do my homework, especially about process. Vice President Nelson Rockefeller, who served under President Ford, was the last vice president confirmed by Congress. The Senate and House must confirm a vice president. All right, that's it. What do you think of that? We'll watch that one closely. So, Vice President Kamala Harris may be on her way out. All right. We're going to do another fact check this when we come back, including now. Have you had this conversation yet with family regarding Christmas dinner? What do we do with our unvaccinated relatives? Did they get an invite? Are we going to sit around the same table as the unvaccinated? We'll uh, address that when fact check this returns on the other side. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. How do we determine what is true, what is false, and what is misleading? Fact check this. All right, aren't you lucky? A double shot of fact check this on the program today. All right, so uh, I'm wondering, are you getting a tough time from family members over your decision not to get vaccinated? Has the Christmas dinner conversation come up? Hard to believe, but there will be people who are unvaccinated who will literally be left out in the cold this Christmas. I shouldn't say literally, figuratively, actually, who will be told by their own family members to stay away this Christmas. They'll be told they're not welcome around the Christmas table. Uh, In fact, they're tackling this very issue on one of Australia's news stations. Have a listen. As Christmas approaches, many of us will be faced with a new dilemma, how to handle unvaccinated loved ones and whether you should spend time with them over the festive season, sit next to them at Christmas dinner. Mm -hmm. So how do you find out who is vaccinated and how do you decide whether to invite them over for Christmas lunch? We've got the tips and the tricks to help you avoid awkward encounters. They say you can't choose your family, and it's never more relevant than at Christmas. Apart from the glazed ham and stuffed turkey, there'll also be an elephant in many dining rooms this festive season. The vaccination status of your nearest and dearest. 
I'd invite them. They'd probably need to get a negative test, though. I don't mind, actually. So um, I'm fully vaccinated, so it's fine. I hadn't really thought about it, but probably not. Now the COVID-19 vaccine is widely available across the country and Australia is reopening. This year, we're all facing a very unique predicament. These conversations about whether somebody is vaccinated or not can be challenging because it is a personal question. The past two years has already been divisive enough, so it's never been more important to engage in peaceful and respectful conversations with your loved ones about their vaccine status before you invite them to your house or other social events this Christmas. After you've checked the public health orders for where you live, you need to weigh up the risk. Everybody's welcome. Come one, come all, the doors are open. Or you can decide to say, we love you. However, this year we're deciding to err on the side of caution and only vaccinated people are coming for Christmas. Anna's top tips are be upfront. Having the conversation early and directly is paramount. You can blame the health advice for not having unvaccinated guests over. Or move the celebrations to a venue. Then you're guided by their rules. Alternatively, consider having a celebration outdoors where the risk is less. The government is making decisions for the broader population, but it's up to us to make decisions for what's safe and right for our families. All right. First of all, Australia, those poor people in Australia, once a penal colony, always a penal colony. Christmas lunch? What the hell is Christmas lunch? Who has Christmas lunch? It's Christmas dinner. Thank you very much. Uh, yet another reason not to uh, um, visit Australia. So you've got the sharks, you got snakes, you got giant spiders like the size of a Buick. And now, if you're happy to be unlucky enough to be over there at Christmas time, they're going to serve you Christmas lunch. Christmas lunch. All right. Did you hear? You can always blame the government for your decision to exclude your unvaccinated family members. What a cop out. What that's a coward's way out. Oh, I, I wanted to have you, Uncle Uncle Joe, but the government says because you're unvaccinated, you're not welcome. All right. So there's that. Now, do, do we really need to go through this again? Just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you can't catch COVID and you can't spread it. Maybe the unvaccinated should be asking the vaccinated to stay away. But, but we're not going to do that. Because that, that's unscientific and it's callous. However, these conversations, I'm sure, sure will be happening uh, in households across Canada as uh, Christmas approaches. Who gets an invite and who does not? All right. Now, this, if true, and I have no reason to doubt Jordan Peterson. I find him, in, in, you know, aside from being incredibly erudite and, and um, a genuine and honest and having a great deal of integrity. Um, if this is true, well, I guess it really confirms a lot of our suspicions, but it's also downright scary. Here's Jordan Peterson on a recent episode of the Rubin Report with Dave Rubin. Have a listen. In relationship to the COVID restrictions, I talked to a senior advisor to one of the provincial governments a couple of weeks ago. He told me flat out that the COVID policy here is driven by nothing but opinion polls related to the popularity of the government. No science, no end game in sight, no real plan. And so what that means is that 
the, the pop part of the population that's most afraid of COVID. I know it's what 50% of Democrats believe that you have a 50% shot at getting hospitalized if you catch COVID and 25% of Republicans. And so I suspect it's similar in Canada. And so policy is being driven by people who are more afraid than they should be. And it's, well, it was a very disheartening conversation because I trust this guy and he, he knows what he's talking about. And so, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm cynical about governments exactly because cynicism is, it's a cheap shortcut to approximating wisdom, let's say. And you have to be judicious in your criticisms. But I still found that extremely disheartening because I thought at least policies that I don't agree with, the restrictive policies, were at least driven by something remotely resembling a scientifically informed plan. And, and he was irate at what had been happening, enough to consider resigning. So it's pretty appalling. I'll say, to say the least. But again, suspicions confirmed. Are there any, is there anybody left out there who thinks that these COVID restrictions and policies are being driven by science rather than simple polling? I think not. All right, when we come back, we have to address these cataclysmic floods out in uh, British Columbia, our poor uh, relatives and friends out in BC suffering. The cleanup uh, uh, has uh, begun. We'll speak with our own uh, Praveen Amitharaj, who is the, uh, the general manager. I guess that would make him my boss. I better watch what I say. Uh, Praveen will be here. He's out in Kelowna at the moment, and um, he'll uh, let us know what's happening out there. Back with that conversation in three minutes. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, these uh, these floods or this flood in British Columbia, absolutely cataclysmic. Billions and billions of dollars in in damage. Uh, The last I checked, I know there was one confirmed death. I believe a woman uh, perished in a mudslide in Pemberton, British Columbia. There are at least three other people listed as missing. Uh, we'll watch that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I'm sure the uh, the death toll um, will will rise. And uh, obviously, um, aside from the, uh, the the human toll, there is uh, tremendous tremendous damage to British Columbia infrastructure. Bridges washed out. Uh, we're going to uh, speak now with Saga 960's very own general manager, Praveen Amirtharaj, uh, who is currently in Kelowna. Praveen, welcome. How are you, my friend? Hey, Richard. How are you? Good to talk to you. You too. This is the first time on the, on the, on the show. I'm sorry it took uh, <laughs> a, a, an event such as this to bring you on. Now, I know Kelowna is about about what, f- about five hours from Abbotsford, which is southern, uh, southern yeah. mainland, kind of the center of this flooding. Uh, so you wouldn't have seen necessarily the damage, but the s- disruptions to supply chains and so forth. What are you seeing in Kelowna uh, as a result of the flood? Well, we're starting to see the effects of that uh, here as uh, a lot of the evacuees from some of those towns west of us, uh, Merritt, um, I can't remember the other one, a lot of the people are being evacuated to uh, Kelowna as they're going east, uh, east, uh, east of where they are, I guess. So there's a lot of uh, people coming into the city. It was similar to what was happening in the summer, in the summertime, when all the wildfires were happening, a lot of people were coming into being evacuated into uh, Kelowna. So uh, I know right now the supply chain's pretty good. There's no issues here too much. Uh, I've heard some stories about grocers. We went to the grocery store the other day. Things like, funny enough, uh, lettuce is can't find lettuce anywhere. 
So it's um, starting starting to trickle down, I guess, uh, this side. But the bigger problem is really, uh, I think, yet to um, yet to come. Um, one of the reports I just heard just now was um, BC uh, dairy production. They they generate roughly about two million liters a day, and seventy five percent of that hasn't been able to been picked up in the last couple of days. So there's a tremendous loss to the uh, the dairy producers uh, in the province. Right. So uh, that would make sense that that some of these supply chain issues uh, will be delayed. The, the impact will not be realized, perhaps for, you know, days, weeks, maybe even months to come. Um, I'm hearing, though, that uh, one of the routes from if you want to get go from Kelowna to Vancouver, um, that the uh, the route there has been basically washed away. And so instead of now what would be normally what a four and a half hour trip is suddenly now 10 hours because you have to go down into the United States and then come back across the border once again. Are you hearing anything about that? Yeah, the, the that's kind of the main kind of route right now. It's a kind of a 10-hour uh, detour going through the States, which creates another big issue with the whole vaccination issue now. But um, there is, I did hear something yesterday, but there's a route that they think they might be, be, might be able to open that's a little north which will won't be as bad. It'd still be longer than normal, but at least you can stay in Canada. But they haven't confirmed if that is fully open yet. But there was talk about uh, that opening up. But right now, the major road thoroughfare would be going down through the states and coming up, um, coming up in the lower mainland area. Right. Um, effectively, the mainland is cut off with the rest of Canada right now, unfortunately. Uh, the uh, the Air Force, uh, Canadian Air Force, has arrived. Um, yeah, I just saw what's, the what's Minister Anand just announced that 120, 120 troops will be on the ground at Abbotsford by end of day today. And then uh, she said 1,000 are on standby for uh, what's yet to come. The forecast is looking okay there's there's some rain coming uh but next week is supposed to be a little bit drier and supposed to now miss north of uh, the affected area so they're a little bit um, optimistic they're not going to get a double whammy um but just in terms of the, the devastation there that are showing on tv is just uh unbelievable like it's just it's almost like some reason BC, it's been unfair between the wildfires that uh, happened this summer and the rain now. It's oh, we're missing the uh, the insects, I guess, coming right, it's, right, uh, the plagues of Egypt coming the, to, uh, to exactly, British Columbia. Exactly, and um, yeah, uh, the one farmer who was just on TV was because Abbotsford is primarily an agricultural area, and he was just saying. They had a terrible summer because of the heat, his blue, the blueberry farm, and everything they did to save that uh, soil has now been washed away because of floods. So they're not sure when they'll be able to remediate their farmlands again. So it's been a double whammy on these poor folks um, in sort of the west side of uh, uh, BC here, the lower west, I guess. Ravina Mitharaj is the general manager here at Saga 960, and he's out in Kelowna. We're talking about the uh, the devastating floods against Senator around Abbotsford. Some are blaming this 
flooding on a decision that was actually made 100 years ago. Uh, there was a, a large lake in the Abbotsford area. They drained it uh, in order to, uh, to sort of reclaim that land for farmland. So much of Abbotsford mm -hmm. now sitting on a giant floodplain. Uh, are you hearing mm -hmm. that as well, that that might have been the yeah. problem? Well, there's true. They're starting to. I think people are being kind of somewhat uh, reserved in, in assessing blame right now. But there's been talk about uh, there. There, um, there was a area called Sumas Prairie, uh, which is in that area, and a lot of that um, water has been held back through these pumping stations, and the they so far have held. But although that could go any minute. And if those pumping stations go, then catastrophe just becomes taken to a new level. So the blame is starting. Uh, there's been a few things that have been started to throw around with the local government. And um, I don't think we're going to get a full sense of it until maybe another week or so when I think their focus is really on kind of, you know, let's see what we can do. And then um, and then they'll probably get into blame game what's the latest on uh, estimates in terms of property damage um i haven't heard a figure yet i was the one of the reporters was asking uh mr blair in the press conference earlier he, he didn't really give a number but um you what well, you mentioned at the top of the show in terms of uh, lives lost is true uh there's a few more people they're looking for but i think there's only the one lady that's been confirmed. Thank God. She's on, and that's bad uh, enough, obviously. Exactly. It's, it's horrible. and But unfortunately, they still haven't got to a few more of the cars. Uh, they did mention there's a, thousands and thousands of livestock in terms of chickens. And I believe they said around 1,000 cows that uh, they've lost so far. Uh, many of them calves because they just weren't big enough to survive the, um, the water levels. So... I don't think they're they have they haven't fully accounted for the devastation in terms of the the livestock, the people they're still looking for. But um, uh, I think we'll hear that in the next uh, the next couple of days. Right. Well, we'll stay on the story. We're hoping to get some of the uh, the the, uh, the MPs from British Columbia on the program in the uh, the coming days. Praveen, thank you for your time, and I'm glad. Uh, well, you're high and dry, and all is well. Thank you so much. No, thank you, sir, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Ravina Mitharaj, the general manager of Saga 960 out in Kelowna. All right, when we come back, we'll get an update on the jury deliberation for the Rittenhouse trial. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. So we are into day three of the jury deliberation in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And um, I don't know if you've been in a cave somewhere for the last uh, year and not aware. Kyle Rittenhouse, a young uh, teenager, uh, armed with an AR-15 in Kenosha, Wisconsin, during the, uh, the BLM riots there, uh, decided, you know, to help out some local businesses and, uh, you know, to, uh, to stand watch and prevent some uh, looting and perhaps some firebombing. Uh, he was then uh, set upon by uh, members of this mob. He ended up shooting three of them, two died, and um, then he was in, uh, in jail and accused of being a, um, a serial or a mass murderer and a white supremacist. Uh, all, vic all three victims were white, incidentally. Uh, and now, of course, this, um, this high-powered uh, trial, the prosecution has been um, 
reprimanded on several occasions by the judge for misconduct. And now we're hearing reports that the uh, the jury, members of the jury are being intimidated and doxxed. And in, I believe recently uh, their bus, I guess, on the way from the courthouse, perhaps to the hotel uh, was being followed. Uh, so it's um, it's it's adding up to a potential, you know, powder keg here. If the jury were to acquit Kyle Rittenhouse, are we going to see more riots? This is going to be a repeat of uh, the O.J. Simpson trial. Uh, let's uh, discuss with Drew Allen, conservative author, columnist, political analyst, host of the Drew Allen Show podcast and the author of Uncommon Sense. Drew Allen, welcome back. How are you? Hey, good to be with you, Richard. That was an excellent, excellent synopsis of what's been going on here. Well, uh, the fact that it's taken three days to deliberate, I mean, you could look at that. I mean, when I look at the video evidence, I mean, it was pretty clear to me a year ago that he that he uh, shot in self-defense. The fact that they're taking three days to deliberate, what does that indicate to you? Yeah, well, we've we've got a hung jury, in my opinion, at this point. I mean, today, for example, you know, we just had the revelations that you talked about, um, you know, that the, the, the prosecution actually withheld uh, video evidence, exculpatory evidence um, from the defense team. Right. They gave them a low resolution video file and uh, and they had the, they had the high resolution video themselves. Um, but, but nonetheless, I mean, today they didn't even ask for any more, more evidence. They didn't ask to see anything. They didn't have any questions. So they just sat in this room and they couldn't come to, to, uh, you know, unanimous response. Um, I, I think that this is really indicative of, of the dangerous position that we're in in America right now, um, where things are so hopelessly divided along party lines that people are unwilling to examine the truth, um, you know, in favor instead of the narrative by the left. Right. So if you're a Democrat, I would imagine in this country, it's you know, you're, you're almost guaranteed to go along with the left and say that he should be be guilty. I think what you've got going on right now, of course, is people in this room, in this jury that are desperately looking for any kind of reason whatsoever uh, to say that he's guilty. But, of course, that defies the justice system and legal system in America. Right. I mean, I've never seen a weaker prosecution in my life. Uh, I mean, they went so far as to say that, you know, he, he should have used his fist instead of a gun. He was a coward because he, he used a gun to defend himself. I mean, they basically proved the defense's case and proved that he was acting in self-defense. And yet somehow we've taken three days now to arrive at what I think is the most obvious, easiest case uh, I've ever seen publicly in my life. How much pressure must the jurors be feeling right now? Um, You know, that if they were to acquit, even if the evidence and maybe that's what's taking them so long, they've seen the evidence. Maybe they want to acquit, but they're concerned that if they don't acquit, uh, you know, uh, rioters are going to hang fire again all over Wisconsin, uh, in Illinois, Chicago, et cetera, uh, or they, their lives may be in danger. Well, and that, I think, is the most important point to make, because it is impossible that some of these jurors, jurors, if not all of them, aren't thinking that exact same thing. Uh, they know they know that if they don't give the ruling that the mob wants, which is to make to put him in jail for the rest of his life that that people are threatening to riot and basically ironically of course have a repeat of what happened in kenosha to begin with and that is a breakdown of the justice system uh that anyone's decision would be would be changed 
or altered in some way because of a fear of the consequences of them doing their jobs as American citizens is absolutely outrageous. And, you know, we saw this in the Derek Chauvin trial. This is just here we go again, you know, in the sense that we have mob justice, if anything, and um, we can't tolerate this. And uh, it it just leads to um, it's a powder keg. I mean, all of us, all of us freedom loving Americans are sitting here watching this. And uh, we realize that America is being held hostage in addition to this young boy uh, to the mob in this country and the Democrat Party. A lot of conservatives watching this trial, particularly the behavior of Justice Bruce Schroeder and saying, get this guy in the Supreme Court. So he reprimanded the prosecution a number of times for misconduct. And now he's banned MSNBC from the trial. Right, right. And that goes back to what you're alluding to. You know, it was uh, it was an MSNBC. They said it was uh, uh, somebody that was, uh, you know, contracted by them. Uh, who was actually following the vehicle and they were apprehended uh, with a traffic citation because they ran through a red light to continue following the, the jurors and, and the bus that they were taking away. And so MSNBC so far actually won't, won't say uh, that they didn't order him, him to do it. So they're, they're kind of uh, uh, seem to be admitting some type of, of, of involvement in this by their, their refusal to, to answer the question in such a way. But um, but I mean, look, look, I mean, in addition to the fact that, like you said, if you have eyes and ears and this is a public trial, like we knew back in 2020, all this video evidence was available. So we looked at it and we said, yeah, of course, it's self-defense. But, you know, the media, despite that, you know, led their own effort to try and sear in people's minds that he's guilty, the white supremacist narrative, all of that in the meantime. And so in addition to the fact that this was such an obvious, clear cut case of self-defense, on top of that, the prosecution really botched this thing. I've never seen a more embarrassing. Honestly, those those individuals uh, that work for the district attorney's office should should uh, be be disbarred, honestly, for their behavior. And yet still here we are without a verdict. That's what's amazing. And that tells you all the things you said. You know, these people are fearful uh, of the mob, amongst other things. And, and, And that has no place in the justice system. Well, I got to think that uh, if if Kyle Rittenhouse is acquitted, I certainly hope he is. I believe he's uh, 100 percent innocent. He set himself up for a nice payday a la Nick Sandman. The the, the mainstream media has learned nothing from the Sandman uh, incident. He was he's been labeled by uh, the mainstream media as, as you say, a white supremacist, as a as a mass murderer. Uh, he could be looking at a pretty big payday. Uh, Listen, uh, it's always a great pleasure, Drew. How do we get a copy of Uncommon Sense? So they can find it on Amazon's the best place, Amazon.com. And yeah, just Uncommon Sense by Drew Allen. And how do we uh, listen to the Drew Allen show? Yeah. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, you know, Apple and Spotify are the, the, the two main places people go to. But it's on Google Podcasts and all those as well. Just the Drew Allen show. Fantastic. And that's Allen, A-L-L-E-N. Drew, always appreciate your time. Talk again soon, I hope. Thanks, Richard. Can't wait. All right, Drew Allen. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, and Brandon. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. Be well, find joy, hold fast, be kind, but push back. I'll speak with you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.
That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. When I was diagnosed with cancer, it felt like my whole world came tumbling down. Patient Advocate Foundation is here for you, providing free one-on-one practical support to patients with a cancer diagnosis. Call us at 800-532-5274. Patient Advocate Foundation can assist in navigating disability benefits and health insurance options. PAF also helps in accessing vital services, medications, and financial resources for both medical and household expenses. Visit patientadvocate.org or call 800-532-5274.